Frank. Oh my goodness, we've almost forgot to record this podcast. It almost happened. We're getting later and later. I think we're really mentally taking the summer off, even though I'm very proud of us. We've we've hit every week. We haven't missed a show yet, but I think mentally we're kind of missing shows every so often. I mean, what is a day in the life of of whatever this is? Any at this point, I have no. I literally have no idea. Like when you, when you were like, Oh, when do you want to record? And I was like, I don't even know what time it is. It could, it could already be midnight. I don't, I don't know. And, and, and now, you know, the sun's going down so much later, you know, it's, it's eight twenty right now and it's still bright outside, which I think adds mm-hmm. to the confusion as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I kind of assume that we're recording a podcast every night at this point because every day is the same. So I'm just assuming that I'm going to be recording something. And honestly, I get a little sad at 430. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm not recording anything today. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) time doesn't exist. But that said, it's lightning week, James. So we have calendars. Time doesn't exist, but calendars seem to exist. It's a lightning week. How fun is that? Yeah, I love it. And that's why I wasn't too worried about recording this one later, because uh, I put out a I put out a tweet just hours before we recorded and we got (laughs) awesome lightning suggestions. If you're new to the podcast, every 10 episodes, Frank and I, instead of doing one big topic, we do six small lightning topics, um, all submitted, mostly submitted all by our listeners. You can uh, tweet at us. You can go into our discord. There's a nice little um, channel in there. Or, um, or you can even write us an email, and we also will read those as well. And uh, all but one are from our listeners, because literally, before the show happened, Frank, um, I've just been struggling with reconfiguring my home setup, managing cables back and forth, and also attempting to figure out how in the world I'm going to connect all of my devices to my new Apple DTK Apple Silicon Mac Mini with like one USB-C port coming out of it. Like what's going on here? What is <laughs> happening? I don't know. Why, how many how many adapters have you purchased already? It's the future, James. That's what's happening. USB-C is the future. It's funny because I've mostly not bought new um, desktop computers. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I haven't had to deal with USB-C. But boy, what a complicated standard it is, huh? I keep downloading infographic after infographic. And things are getting worse because USB-C is USB 3.1 plus a connector thing. And now USB 3.2 is coming out. If you thought things were crazy, things are getting even crazier. Well, looking in front of me, my Mac Mini DTK, my Surface Book also has, um, they both have USB-C out. So one nice thing is that I was able to take my USB-C adapter from Apple, plug it into either my Surface Book or my Mac mini and the HDMI just worked, but I also have my Nintendo switch over here, which also does HDMI out charging and Bluetooth. If you have it, like what doesn't USB C do? (laughs) I don't USB C do. I don't quite understand. It's like this magical port that nobody understands. And every single cord and cable is completely different. In fact, I was wrapping up my cords and cables and I had a full, full length, six foot cable USB C on one side, normal HDMI on the other side. What am I even going to do with that cable, Frank? I don't even know. (laughs) It's so funny, too, because although USB-C, the standard, can do everything, literally, 
Um, each cable and computer combination can only do some things. So buying dongles for it is so interesting because you can either have, you know, four USB three ports, or you can have an SD card reader with maybe an HDMI thing. Like the permutations are so weird. And then none of those can actually do power delivery, the high Mm -hmm. voltage, high current thing that we actually want because this port has replaced our power charging ports. You know, it's. I haven't bought one of the new iPads, and I think it's when I buy a new iPad is when I'm just going to have to convert over to the USB-C lifestyle. But I, I'm kind of afraid because I was just cleaning out the office as per the last episode. And oh boy, did I find a whole tub of cables and uh, like old connectors that I'm just never going to need in my life ever again. But how are we ever going to recognize that in the future when everything looks the same? All these USB-C cables look the same. I have Thunderbolt 3, which is a very specific kind of cable. It can only be like two inches long per the spec. And it's a USB-C connector. It's so confusing, James. It is. I mean, I will say what's even more confusing is out of all of the devices on my table right now, there's only one that doesn't use USB-C. And you know what that is? That's my iPhone SE. Poor little iPhone SE. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to do a prediction? Do you think iPhones are ever going to get? I mean, okay, in 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 a million years, maybe iPhones are going to get USB C. How about this year, James? Twenty twenty? Are we getting? No, 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 not not ready. No, I didn't think so either. People would be like, in this economy, how can you change our ports? You know, something like that. <laughs> you know, I remember when it was the what thirty-two bit thirty-two pin or whatever, sixteen pin or whatever it was yeah, moved a over. Pin. Yeah, the, I mean, I do, I do love the Lightning cable. It's it's great. You know, it is the inverse, right? It, it's it's a uh, um, you. It's not hollow. The USB C is hollowed out, and you, you know, it's different. It's it's wacky. Um, it's it, they're just different. They're they're the inverse of each other. You could almost shove them into each other. Um, but I think that this will be a 2021, 2022 for Apple. My analysis here is that they need to finalize rolling out as many Mac-esque products. And additionally, just if everything else becomes USB-C and then they do it, everyone will be like, oh, I already have, I already have a billion chargers, not a big deal. Yeah. But also remember what is on you got a new iPhone. Well, you had a new iPhone before you dropped it into the water. Um, you got a dongle. And what was on one side of that dongle, Frank? Uh, I, I feel like I'm being, I'm being tricked, James. I, I have so many dongles. Which, which one of my dongles are you referring to? So when you bought a new iPhone uh, 11 Pro, oh, you, got the, you got the bigger brick. And that bigger brick had USB-C on one side. I love that big brick because it actually has a lot of supported voltages. This is kind of fun. Um, I do have a couple computers that are USB-C, and oddly enough, they were the kind of cheaper ones. So I have a Chromebook. I have the Microsoft Surface, little tiny Surface thing. Go. And yeah, go. Thank you. (laughs) And um, yeah, the phone. And they each came with their own power bricks. Oddly enough, it was the Microsoft one that came with the most amazing power brick I've ever Mm. seen. It can output all the voltages boy i hope i'm not confusing it with the chromebook right now but i'm pretty sure like it because even USB-C power delivery has a variety of voltages and a variety of power levels so the uh new iphone one was quite nice i like that quick charger 
I especially noticed it when I plugged in my iPhone 5 and it could only charge at one amp. And it's oh, like, yeah. how did we live with these things? <laughs> I know. I have, the, I have the old one. And then uh, Heather has the new one plugged in and I, into the kitchen. I always go into the kitchen and do it. But all right, we're out of time. Frank, yeah. on to the next one from Liam. What do we got? Yeah, this one comes from Liam Boyle and talking about old things and replacing them with new things. It's C-sharp nine times, James. I can't believe, like, I feel like we just got through C-sharp eight. This one-year release cycle is it's a lot to keep up with, but uh, the specific question is C-sharp nine is getting with, that's a keyword, with, and records. Am I happy that it's getting F-sharp-like features? Well, I, I think you answered your own question in the question. <laughs> am I happy C-sharp's getting F-sharp-like features? I don't know, James. What do you think I, I am? I think that you are disgusted inside. No, I'm, <laughs> I am, I'm pretty sure. Appalled. How dare they have a data class type? Uh, whatever. Uh, no, yeah. I think that I think it's pretty exciting times. I mean, as I see some of the other languages like Swift and Kotlin progress, um, built, you know, from the ground up more recently, it's nice to see C sharp continuously evolve, um, and take on some of those functional esque style of programming. And while, while some of them maybe F sharp esque features, I just sort of think of them as more modern day features that other languages are getting. So it's sort of C sharp's time, you know, and some of the other ones are getting or are, are, are at least brand new to me uh, and really cool because they they're fitting in with the C sharp um, syntax. Like my my new favorite is this init as accessors, um, which is, you know, you usually have get set. Um, however, mm-hmm. one thing that's always bothered me is if you wanted it to be only a getter, you had to put the initialization uh, of that field um, somewhere else, like in a constructor, and perhaps you're setting a read-only field, and it's super annoying because the code is now disconnected from each other. And probably one of my favorite features here, because I think I will use this all the time, is that underneath the get, you can put the keyword in it, and then that will now allow you to initialize a read-only um, field, uh, which I think is really cool. I think like that's just a great addition, like, really cool. Yeah, because the alternative was you had to write a constructor, which honestly isn't that much code, but it's not. But it was annoying, especially if you're doing just little tiny little private classes that were just doing a little function. Or if you're adopting the functional style where you actually have a lot of these tiny little data types. And they're tiny because you tend to use composition more. You're not Mm. like creating a super object that can mutate the universe, control cars, control airplanes, and do IOC all at the same time. You know, you're not doing that. You're creating tiny little data structures constantly, lots of them. Um, Functional programming has lots of data structures and lots of functions. That's all it is. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice to just have this refined syntax. And, you know, C-sharp's been getting functional features since C-sharp 2, you know, when the delegate uh syntax came out that was Mm -hmm. a functional feature passing functions around it's literally what that is and so um i think it's really good that they are just making this style of programming easier it's not a knock against object-oriented object-oriented is still very useful we're definitely stuck with object-oriented for ui programming probably for the rest of eternity so you know um just making life easier for people who like functional style i think is good especially f-sharp people um 
you know, a functional language forces you into a style, which can be a, a, lo- a little annoying sometimes. But when you come back to C sharp, speaking for myself, you can't help but to still think in that style. You know, it's it's a way of thought. So thank you for making the syntax easier for that. Uh, any other favorite features here? I know we'll probably do a full episode at one time. I know that this is still draft esque, but uh, any other favorite features that you really hope get in there? Well, I, it was actually in that tweet there, that with syntax, because with immutable data, you end up writing these really obnoxious constructors in C Sharp right now because you have to initialize anything. And anytime you want to like clone the object and just change one field, it, you had to write the code to do that. It was boilerplate code. It's something a compiler could easily generate. And guess what, James? Now the compiler can easily generate that code for you. So say I have an immutable object that's a person and I want to change their first last name. Um, I can just say, uh, take Timmy, Timmy, but with this last name of Jones. And now we have a Timmy Jones. It's just syntax, but you know that's what a compiler is. It's giving us syntax for common patterns that we use all the time. Yeah. And also, I, I believe what I really like is with that with expression, it'll also, you, and sort of a lot of other features in here, a lot of are going to really streamline the constructing objects in general. Um, I'll just say it before we get out. Before I, besides that, I love the new pattern matching stuff. Um, top level programs. That's awesome. And on to the oh, next topic. Yeah. <laughs> we um, dodged that bullet. <laughs> Got to do it. Holly uh, Schilling, um, fan of the show, friend of the show. Um, uh, says this could be possibly an entire episode on its own. I, I love a challenge, uh, but how about in five building minutes. in five minutes? How about building Xamarin from source to help test and contribute code to it? Now she did say Xamarin, but I can also say Xamarin forms. I think that's the easier part um, oh. because mm-hmm. there's some great. I mean, it's very large in general. So I think <laughs> there's some good blog posts about doing it, pulling it down, adding some features to it, but. Honestly, the Xamarin bits, I have never done that at all. I've attempted to on Xamarin Android to fix up a binding one time, but then I just opened it in VS Code and just changed the the, the wording of it manually and checked it in and <laughs> passed. But I, I oh, know yeah. that you, you did a big pull request in general, but that was a binding. But I guess as are beyond that scope, you, you probably have more context to all of this. Yeah, it's actually not so bad. Um, Xamarin is open source. You can go download it and build it yourself. All the code is there. Um, and I did that way back in the early days, like 2008 time frame. It was a um, it was a lot smaller product back then, James. Life was simpler. Um, but there are build instructions on GitHub. If you go to the repo, which I think is uh, Xamarin Mac iOS. I always just type GitHub. I, I Google search for it every time. And there are build instructions, and it's really not that bad. As you can imagine, it's a giant download, and it has the trickiest part of it is it has very specific version requirements. So it wants a very specific version of Mono. It wants a specific version of Xcode. So you can't just be having your random App Store versions of Xcode. You actually have to have a side install of a very specific version. Mm. It's going to add in all these toolings. But what's kind of fun is the build script is pretty good these days. And so if your environment is not set up right, it tells you and usually gives you a link to the thing you need to go download and all that. 
And so I would say following their instructions, it's actually really easy to compile Xamarin from scratch. Uh, it takes forever. <laughs> You're going to want a big machine. And uh, you, you even compile it with eight threads or eight processes running uh, concurrently because it's that big that it's really worth doing it because it's compiling Mac, iOS, watch, TV, you know, all that stuff. There's just so much to get through. Yeah. And I'm uh, I'm assuming the steps are pretty similar if you need to do mono from source or if you need to do Xamarin Android from source, uh, very similar steps there. I guess, how do you go about, I mean, that those are bindings, I guess in the, there's it's all like the other same. performance it, stuff, like compilation stuff too. Is that in a different space? How does that work? Well, actually, the Xamarin is um, basically, basically uh, just a bunch of libraries plus a tool to package everything together into mm. an app. And those are roughly what you get in that repo. All the bindings, these are bindings to the Objective-C Apple APIs. And those are pretty straightforward. You can read through those and modify them pretty easily. Um, the trickier parts are the tools, the things that are actually doing the heavy work of mm. running the AOT version of Mono, packaging everything into a dot app and, you know, info P list, you know, all, the, all that kind of crazy stuff. So if you ever want to modify uh, Xamarin, first you have to figure out what is it that you want to accomplish. Am I changing a binding, which I think is actually very easy and straightforward once you get everything compiling? Or do I want to work on the tool side, you know, add a feature to the, the tooling itself? And th that requires a bit more effort because <laughs> those tools are complicated. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it sort of depends on what you're attempting to look at and contribute to. And then that will decide where you must go. And I know that, you know, being on the inside, inside baseball is I, I know the team spent a lot of time over the last few years, really trying to streamline that process, like you were saying with the build scripts and everything like that, because, you know, as the platforms progress, you know, you don't, the team doesn't want to wait bajillions of hours and things like that. And they need to streamline the builds. So I know there was a lot of, a lot of energy and effort into the actual ops part of, of streamlining a lot of that stuff. And if you ever want people to contribute, you got to make it somewhat doable, right? So yeah, uh, that's, that's good to hear that it's a better process. Yeah, and I really appreciate that the it's frustrating at first because the build script is so specific about things. You know, you're like, it's good enough, buddy. Just compile the stupid thing. But <laughs> um, it's nice that they give you the links so you can easily find the thing. And they even have little overrides. If you're like, trust me, build script, I know what I'm doing. That's what they should call it. The dash dash, I know what I'm doing. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Well, we have our next topic, James, and honestly, I'm a little bit confused by its whole title because the title is just best cross-platform, what, framework, language? Is there a, such a thing as a best? <laughs> is this a philosophical discussion? What are we going to do here? I don't know. V Vijay uh, Mala on Twitter said, what is the best cross-platform for a new app now? Blazor, Xamarin, Uno, Dynamaui, Flutter, Ionic, etc.? Please help me. I don't know. <laughs> Vijay, what are you building? What is your background? What are you attempting yeah. your apps to run on? Uh, I don't know. All of them? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think what we, what we should Swift? say is... 
Yeah. <laughs> you could really get into a paralysis over this, especially I think if you're uh, just starting out and you're not super comfortable in any one of these, like maybe like, yeah, the world is your oyster. You could use any of these cross-platform frameworks. Um, I would, like you were saying, what's your history? I'd go with the one that is closest to what you already kind of know. Mm-hmm. If you only know web development, then maybe you should use a web kind of thing like Blazor or whatever. Um, me, I grew up doing native UI development, you know, so I always want native UI kind of stuff. So that limits me to basically Xamarin. What else? What else can do native? James? Swift UI, I guess. Yeah, but that doesn't. That's not. I don't consider Swift UI fully cross-platform because it's still Apple mm, platform. True. You know, you're not. I guess there have been some efforts, but you're not going to get Android. You're not going to get Windows off the shelf. You know. I so, think there's a uh, a Kotlin Kotlin for iOS. Maybe is there like with bindings? Okay, I think so. I don't know. I don't know with See, bindings. Yeah. And this is where you get into, sure, like someone might have the compiler working on that platform, but there's a big difference between, we were just talking about all the bindings that Xamarin is. That's taken them, you know, eight years of effort to create all those bindings Mm -hmm. to all those APIs. Um, But if you're not concerned about native stuff, then I think you have so many options. Maybe that's kind of the issue. I know people out there do love their Flutter. I don't, mm-hmm. it's fine. It seems fine to me. Um, React Native, that's just another web one. So that's if you're a web person again. It's, I guess it's really just, are you a web person or not? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what well, also is deciding, I believe, uh, I mean, obviously for me, I'm, I'm I mean, you know, there's, there's two things, right? I'm obviously a C-sharp person, a Xamarin person. That's where I go for everything, whether I want to do Xamarin Forms for basically everything or I want to do, you know, non you know non forms ui for it i, I have that option so obviously you're speaking to people that are a little bit biased <laughs> yeah uh however I, I do have to say like you know what are you building do you need um you know a, a web and a mobile app and how much of that code do you want to share right because if you think of react native you're not building a react native for the web you're building a react web application right for blazer i mean you're you there's there's ways of getting it into a mobile app and the pwa of sorts right but like do you want to go to pwa route um with flutter you have ios and android and you have preliminary support for some other um, frameworks but you know that's custom drawing of things it's you know it's not built for the ground up for web like blazor server or mvc or react or vue.js or something like that so I think it's really complicated in that regard. And, and same thing with Uno. Like, are you a UWP developer? Then that, that would be the reason to go there. And if you wanted to put that UWP stuff on the web for maybe Brownfield applications. Um, and then also, you know, if I think that if you were just a brand new, brand new student, like let's say you don't know anything, you don't know any any programming languages or anything like that. If I would do what I did, which was, I don't know, take a week or two and just kind of learn a little bit of what you can build with them and see what you enjoy because one of them may click and you're like, all right, this is the one I'm going to go with now. Right. Yeah. Um, I like to stick in the .NET universe though, because again, I'm a, I work for Microsoft on the .NET team, but I like to think that what's the best cross-platform way to build apps 
.NET because .NET runs everywhere, right? Yeah. You could also say that maybe about Java in some aspects, but like with .NET, you have the ability to build the native applications, which I think is kind of what you're saying. So to me, it's if when I think of when you say Blazor, Xamarin, Uno, uh, Maui, like that's just .NET stuff, right? And you can just pick a UI framework on top of it. So that's kind of yeah. how I think of it sometimes. Yeah. And especially if I'm talking to someone who's just starting out, pick the one which has the better tool that you prefer. Mm. Mm. So like, you know, I, I learned Visual Basic because I fell in love with Visual Basic, the app, not because mm. I thought the language was particularly great or their mm. solution set was particularly great. It was an amazing development experience. So take the one that you like developing because you're going to be stuck in that IDE for the rest of your life. So you might as well enjoy it. That's a great point. Um, that may be one reason why I went, moved away from Java is because I had to spend a lot of time in Eclipse and I did not enjoy that. And <laughs> yeah. when I moved to Visual Studio, I said, this is what I would like to do, please. And then I did it. So that's, that's, <laughs> the, that's literally the truth. I had, I'd spent a lot of times in Eclipse and NetBeans, Net, NetBeans or whatever. And I was just like, ah, I don't want to do any of this. So Oh, right. Well, speaking of things you don't want to do, James, Damien, (laughs) Damien Myers writes in and asks, James Montemagno, anything you do differently in Xamarin Essentials now that it's well established? It's an old product, James. Let's face it. It's old and ancient and crufty. What kind of lessons learned do you have? For example, and in particular, and I'm really interested in this because I have no idea what he's talking about. Do you regret unit converters, James? Explain yourself. We... The team, myself, John Dick, Matt um, Leibowitz, we regret regret nothing ever. Um, nothing. <laughs> You're a company man, nothing. James. Company man. <laughs> it's flawless. No. Uh, what do What do you? It would be a great question for John and Matt. I. Regret... What do you get the most questions about? Like, like people. What do people find most confusing? Maybe. Um. That's a good question. I regret I regret not doing a few core fundamentals earlier, like permissions um, and being a little bit opinionated on how we were going to handle permissions internally. I think that was for the greater good. Um, I, I, I don't, I, what I regret the most out of some of the API reviews and, and things that people have asked us is when an API is not, hundred percent consistent, right? And we, every time we have to document that this isn't available on windows versus it works wow. a little bit different over here, instead of just not making it an option. Um, because once those bleed into the product, people want to expose more of them and it's really hard. An example, you know, is in the map API to launch a map and navigate to a location mm-hmm. is, um, that's not supported by every platform what's up it is easy it is however not all of the navigation types are supported by every single platform so so we we added one for like transit or something and like that wasn't supported on ios at the time or windows or something so it gets a little bit like oh why isn't it working that way instead of just saying listen if it's not in all of them it's not there but i I would think that that, i mean it's a hard tough balance every single api um is tricky um i would say that you just you just brought up like the hardest part of cross-platform it's do you code to the base api or you know the thing that's covered a hundred percent or do you tailor your app to every platform 
that's just a fundamental problem we've had in cross-platform that mm-hmm. I don't see ever going away. Like, how can you, it's, it's always the compare and contrast. Some things are similar, some things yeah. are different. It's, it is very difficult. And, you know, I always wanted inside of this API, some way to do how Xamarin Forms does platform specifics. You can do on iOS, access this specific property And uh, that was always really cool. And that's really what we should have probably done. And maybe we will do that. Um, It's there. That said, there's other things in there like unit converters. Do we regret? No, I don't regret it all. I think they're great. What do they do? People use me. They they convert one unit to another unit, like Fahrenheit to Celsius. Oh, why do people not like that? What's wrong with that? I don't know. I think they're, I mean, it's uh, anyone can add some in there and they're, relatively comprehensive. And the reason we added them is because often what happens is a sensor uh, returns like a pressure and you need it in a different unit. So like, why have to calculate that? We'll just calculate it for you. So I don't regret, you know, even those, they're not, the reason I think people maybe would give us flack on those APIs is that those are not what Xamarin Essentials is about, which is abstracting platform specific APIs into a common set, right? Like those aren't specific APIs, iOS and Android, but I Mm. would say on the defense of that Xamarin essentials, while that's its core, it's essential things that your application needs that are cross platform. It doesn't have to be a platform specific API necessarily. We try to keep that close, but not 100%. So there's, there's I don't like, being in the position of defending you. But if the base library doesn't have it, the base library doesn't have it. Like C sharp and not .NET are notoriously bad at numerical units. F sharp has tried to add some things to help, but it's an old computer science problem and C sharp and .NET don't do anything to try to help you with that problem. So it makes perfect sense in the same way. Don't you have a color class? Like, yes, we do. No, we do exactly. not. We use, we use, no, no we, okay. You use Zam- <laughs> no Xamarin Forms does. We do not. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. So, you know, like the same way Xamarin Forms had to add a color class because the silly BCL doesn't have a color class, which maybe it does now in system numerics or something. But in.NET um, Standard 2, it added it, but not in.NET Standard 1, right? There's actually a color class in.NET Standard. System.drawing.color. Yeah. Oh, but that thing's a piece of junk. That's SRGB. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, so, I'm, so it, it so, was designed for yeah. GDI plus, a non dynamic, a, a not good color model. <laughs> I mean, that's very true. And in fact, we had to add like all the extension models and all the HSL things on top of right. it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not good. Okay. Ah, anyway, right. enough ragging on poor color. I could rag yes. on color all day long. All right. Last one. What do you got for us, Frank? What do we have? Well, for some reason, we are in this beta summer. We started the episode by saying neither of us are very focused. We can barely get our acts together to record a podcast. What is our beta summer strategy, James? Yes. From Sakib yeah. on Twitter. We cannot uh, thank Ooh, you enough for this one. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Great to have you. Um, what is my strategy? I want to start here by saying that Oh boy, I'm very lucky. It seems like my apps are working so far on the DDK. <laughs> so my beta summer strategy is do the minimum possible. But that's not totally true because 
gosh darn it, they did change a lot of the UI in macOS. So I do have a yeah. bit of work ahead of me. Or what? How are so? How are you uh, managing it? You just are you DTK, and that's your that's your beta. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. wonderful. I, I I I I'm sad that I had to spend money. I hate spending money, but at the same time. If you can have two dev machines so I don't have to ruin my dev machine by installing insane betas on it, it's so wonderful, isn't it, James, to just have a separate little computer and you can abuse it. Actually, I'm trying not to abuse it too much because I don't know if you can reset it. Have you tried that yet? No, I have not. Uh, So this year, I think, is probably going to be my most organized kind of wonderful year because I'm going to have a separate dev machine that's... Honestly, a little bit annoying because, you know, I'm trying to figure out some file share and things like that uh, to make development easier. But I really like having that separate machine. And then I'm lucky that I have uh, an extra dev iPad around. And so I put the betas on the dev iPad. Nice. Yeah, I um, also am I'm lucky enough to go a DTK route this year um, because my uh, actually fun fact my MacBook Pro 2013, late 2013, it is the it is the very, very last entry that they added that will get an upgrade, which is amazing. Oh, <laughs> um, next year, though, definitely not going to get an upgrade. Um, now, I have an iPhone six that no longer gets updates. That's puppy is locked on iOS 12. And I got lucky this year because I purchased an iPhone SE as a trial device to see if I'm going to make a switch to iOS fully or not from Android. Um, So that means I have an iPhone 7 sitting around, and that is going to be my new iOS 14 device. So Ah. it was luck, right? It was was a luck that I had a bunch of Best Buy gift cards and (laughs) picked up an iPhone SE, though, $400 device. What a great device for beta testing in general. But I have the iPhone 7, so I I will use that as my iOS 14 device. And... You know, when we talk about beta summers, we only really talk about iOS because my beta summer on Android is done. I don't do anything for Android. I mean, it basically (laughs) the apps will just work and there's not really much requirements compared to on iOS or on Mac OS. You're right. I'm really excited once we can crack into seeing how my um, my iOS apps run on a Mac. I am very excited to see uh, if my in-app purchases, I need to like, up, basically I want to upgrade my applications so they're ready, right? So anything I want to do ahead of time, so switching over to in-app purchases or making new decisions, I want my applications to be sort of ready for that day one Mac OS release with the iOS applications that are just there. Um, so that yeah. means putting in those in-app purchases and seeing how that works. But yeah, I'm, I'm going this route. I usually have two machines my my, my uh, MacBook Pro and my MacBook Adorable. The, again, the MacBook Adorable is stuck in quarantine and building 18. Uh-huh. So I will not be getting that um, back anytime soon. Um, but yeah, that, that is sort of my setup here. And, and I, I'm really I'm really thankful and very privileged and lucky that I was selected for this program. And, and you are right. It's, it's very nice to have this nice little um, compact machine over here that's just ready. It's ready. It's ready for, uh, I mean, I have to add a dongle to it obviously, so I can plug in a keyboards and whatnot. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited uh, just to have this little machine. So Sakab, I don't know if you got one, but if you did, that is the ideal way to beta that summer away. 
Yes. Um, you know, it's funny because usually I put iOS, uh, the new iOS on my carry phone. Uh, I've been doing it ever since iOS 7. Just it was a joke back then because the iOS 7 was beta was so bad. But I was like, I don't care. It's going to be fun. I'm going to have the beta on my phone. But this year, I, I just haven't honestly felt the need. Um, all the real big innovations seem to mostly happen on the Mac side this year, which is kind of crazy for Apple because it's usually so iOS focused. I think you hit the nail on the head, though. The real giant question mark for me is how will my iOS apps run on Mac? And um, we haven't been able to test that yet. And so I think that when that part is enabled and we're able to test it, uh, I'm a, you know, I'm not so nervous because it's just ARM code. You know, it's UI kit. They say it's UI kit. It's going to be running just fine. But at the same time, it's a giant question mark. It's unanswered. Uh, I think Apple has shown that they have really excellent uh, software and technology here. This is mm-hmm. a very impressive machine. And so I have high hopes, but it's still just oh, such a giant question mark. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to be waiting and seeing. I don't know how much we can talk about when or how. I literally had a tweet ready to go out. And then uh, I said, am I allowed to tweet this, Frank? And then Frank said, I don't know. So I did not. Um, <laughs> so uh, I will wait. Yes, I guess. sorry for being cagey, but a lot of it's under NDA and we don't want to screw up. I make my living off the app store. <laughs> I, I need to be pretty <laughs> careful about it. Um, but yeah, th- this is, oh boy, you know, virus and everything. It shouldn't be the worst beta summer. I think people are just being a little more chill about everything and it should go smoothly. Uh, where's all the wood? Everyone, are you all knocking on wood for me right now? Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. Good, sir. Uh, all right. We made it through this lightning talk round. I love it. I cannot wait for another 10 weeks, I guess, until the next one. I do love these episodes because they're fun. They're really, really fun. I love them. Yeah. Um, we we always have, you know, it's hard to choose just one topic because there are so many topics to choose from, James. Um, but these ones are especially fun just because it's from the listeners, from you, the listener. So make sure that you write in whenever you want us to talk about something because honestly, it is just more fun when we're doing a, a listener topic. I agree. Well, you can send us your topic again by going to mergeconflict.fm. You can hop in our Discord. You can send us an email or you can tweet at us. All the links are there. And hey, do something for us. You know, I know you may be stuck inside right now or you're out and about wearing a mask, washing your hands all the time. Please (laughs) do that. But also, how about you just maybe tell three friends or three coworkers about the pod? Hey, maybe even write a review. That definitely helps out. If all and every single one of you tell just three friends and only 0.001% subscribe, we'll be at an all-time high because only one more subscriber will bring us to an all-time high because every subscriber brings us to an all-time high. And we get real excited about that. We love it and we love all of you. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. So until next week, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.